someone put it to me this way, actually, when I was still side hustling, I was stressed out. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go full time, but my benefits. And they said, you know, think of benefits. It's just money. You can buy your own benefits. So if you have to pay $300, $500, whatever it is a month for health insurance, factor that into your cost of doing business. So, you know, if I would normally charge $1,000 for something, I'm going to make sure that I'm charging $1,500 to cover those benefits. Same thing for time off. I need to make sure that I understand what my day rate is so I can multiply that by at least five or 10. So I'm getting at least a couple weeks of vacation every year. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 107 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet freelancer and digital marketing strategist, Latasha James. Latasha started freelancing as a college student and kept it up through two jobs at Fortune 500 companies. Today, she has turned her freelancing side hustle into an agency she runs full-time. To help others along in their freelancing journey, she hosts a podcast called Freelance Friday, where she shares freelancing tips, tricks, and strategies. If you've ever thought about becoming a freelancer, this episode will cover a few of the things you need to know about the business of freelancing. Before we hear the rest of Latasha's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Latasha's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with freelancer and digital marketing strategist, Latasha James. Latasha James, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Latasha James. I live in Detroit, Michigan, and I have a creative marketing agency called James and Park. Uh, focus a lot on social media marketing, video marketing. Um, I do a lot of strategy work and, and training as well in the marketing space. And then I also have kind of a, a kind of my side business or the other side of my business, I guess you could say, is the education side of my business. So I do a ton of content for freelancers and aspiring entrepreneurs and current entrepreneurs on YouTube. I have courses, I have a podcast. And uh, so that's kind of, yeah, sort of my side business, but it's a, a growing part of the business. It accounts for right now between 30 and 40% of the business's revenue. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's who I am. Once you catch that entrepreneurial bug, it's hard to stop, right? If you have an idea that's within your reach to execute, you're just like, okay, let me, let me fold this into my business as well. Totally. Totally. And that's something that I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a teacher. Actually, I thought that's what I was going to do for a long time. And so, you know, it's funny how life kind of makes its way back to you and, and you sort of end up where you where you began and with your original passions and dreams. That's something that I realized I could really help serve people in that way. And it was something that I was really good at. It. So how did you find yourself as a freelancer at the beginning of your journey? You've certainly mm-hmm. grown past that point right now. But how did you find yourself initially as a freelancer? Yeah. My freelance story is, uh, it's a long one, to be honest. I'll I'll be honest with you that it is not 
one of those kind of overnight success. I quit my job and decided to go out on my own. And, you know, next thing I knew I was, I was having this successful business. It was not that way. I have been sort of a side hustler for a really long time. Mm. I've only been full time in my business for about two years. And uh, but I've been in business for almost 10 years. <laughs> so wow. I really spent a long time building up my business. I got my first freelance gig when I was in college still, and it was just a freelance writing job, a, a freelance blogging job, $20 an article. I mean, it was like, you know, very entry level. And at the time I was working in retail and, you know, obviously I, I knew that 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 I wanted to get other experiences and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do after school. So I was Mm -hmm. just kind of taking every little, you know, side gig opportunity that I could. So I started this freelance writing job and that eventually turned into a freelance social media copywriter job for a virtual agency. And so I did that, that freelance copywriting job enabled me to quit my, my then day job. So I could just focus on being a student and freelancing. Mm And then I also had a very part-time internship as well at the time. So that was kind of my first experience with freelance success. I was like, okay, you can make actual money. Like this isn't just a $20 an article here and there kind of thing. It really enabled me to, to go kind of quote unquote full-time then, you know, in school. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I graduated, I ended up getting a job out here in Detroit, you know, fortune 500 company and thought that that was the right path for me to go down, which I'm very grateful I did because I got some really good opportunities from that job and then my my next corporate job as well. But all the while I was s- still side hustling. So I always had at least one client. You know, sometimes it was a very involved project. I worked with a startup for two and a half years as their lead community manager while working this corporate marketing job. So it was very much my five to nine. It was almost a full-time side hustle. Other times I was just helping, uh, you know, a client for a couple hours a week or a mm-hmm. couple posts per week or something like that. So, uh, getting a lot of different experiences along the way. And then, like I said, about two years ago, I had just kind of reached this crossroads in the business where I was spending a lot of time. I was turning a lot of people down. Um, you know, cause I, people were coming to me inbound all the time coming to my website and, you know, it just reached a point where I was like, I just can't, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I can't help everybody and be de- dedicated to my full-time job. And yeah, so I kind of reached a crossroads where I decided it was kind of now or never. <laughs> so, so let's take a step back and maybe yeah. for those who are listening, who aren't as in touch with what this freelance world is, could we define what a freelancer is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a freelancer is really just an independent worker, a um, somebody who works as a resource for companies or people and in, in, in works in a non-traditional way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I was never full-time employed by these companies or even part-time. Most of my work is done at my own pace and it's done project-based. So, you know, working as a freelancer, for example, for my first freelance gig as the, a blog writer, I wasn't expected to be online from nine to five or even mm-hmm. nine to one, or it was every week I would get a different assignment. And I would actually for that one, I was pitching my own assignments. So I would come up with topics that I wanted to write about, come up with the number of articles that I wanted mm-hmm. to write that week. So again, some weeks I would write one, if I was really busy with school, other weeks I would write 
10, you know, if I really wanted to hustle and make some, some money. So I would send those pitches in every week. And then I had the week to do them. So, you know, sometimes I was writing articles at 3 AM, <laughs> you know, wow. college life. Right. Um, and other, other times I was writing, you know, during normal business hours. So that's, that's kind of what defines a freelancer for me is really having control of your own schedule and your workload really. Okay. So as a college student, that flexibility I'm sure is welcome. But now as you're talking to people who now have had nine to fives and are used to some level of stability, the life of a freelancer does sound pretty unstable and that instability can be undesirable for some people. So when it comes to things like benefits, how does a freelancer navigate that? Because that's one of the the money could be great, although it could be volatile. But one of the first things people ask is, what about my benefits? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, yeah, that's absolutely one of the first questions I get. And, you know, my answer to this is I, some, someone put it to me this way, actually, when I was kind of still side hustling, I was stressed out. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go full time, but my benefits mm. that's, and, and I, I read this somewhere and they said, you know, think of benefits. It's just money. I mean, you can buy your own benefits. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, yes. And I don't want to discredit that having a full-time employer, they'll often match benefits. You'll sometimes get better benefits than you necessarily would on, on the free market, if you will, but you can buy benefits. Um, so if you have to pay $300, $500, whatever it is a month for health insurance at factor that into your cost of doing business. So, you know, if I would normally charge a thousand dollars for something, I'm going to make sure that I'm charging 1500 to cover those benefits. Same thing for time off. I need to make sure that I understand what my, essentially what my day rate is. Mm -hmm. So I can multiply that by at least five or 10. So I'm getting, you know, at least a couple weeks of vacation every year. So it is a challenge. Um, there are, you know, some resources out there like the freelancers union, for example, um, I think it's just freelancersunion.org. Maybe, um, we can double check that, but, uh, they have, you know, a kind of an insurance portal that does get you some discounts Mm -hmm. uh, for health insurance and things like that. I think that's where I actually got my insurance when I first went, went freelance myself. So there are some resources out there and I think that the world of work is changing and I'm hopeful that we'll only see, you know, more, more, um, resources like that in the future. But yeah, fact, the, the long story short is factor that into your cost of doing business. I like that way of thinking about it. So if you were to start all over again and become a freelancer today, how would you approach that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I am very grateful that I quit my job when I had a healthy emergency fund. Uh, I think that that is something that just cannot be, I I can't not mention that Mm -hmm. because to your point of freelancing seems so volatile and, you know, it's very up and down. It can be. But I, you know, knock on wood, I have not really felt stressed since I, since I left my day job, not about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been stressed about other things that, you know, go wrong or that I don't have the answers to, but I'm not ever stressed about, oh my goodness, like I need to get a client immediately. Um, or I'm working with this client who treats me really poorly and I want to leave, but they're my only, my only, um, you know, revenue stream right now. Mm -hmm. I haven't felt that way because I left when I had a healthy emergency fund, which has allowed me to 
be, be picky with the projects that I'm taking and also just have that peace of mind that, you know, even if you make $0 this month, even if you're in the negative, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a little bit with, with doing business, you're okay. You don't need to, you know, be, be working out of desperation. So that's what I would do. If I was starting over, I would definitely say, save as much as you can, if possible. And I also understand that sometimes that's just not possible. If you are out of work because Mm -hmm. of, you know, the coronavirus, for example, and, um, you know, you're, you're deciding to pick up a side hustle right now, you probably weren't thinking that, that you were going to start freelancing. So I totally understand that's not always possible, but if it at all is, um, and this is something that you really want to make sustainable and long-term, I think that's step number one for sure. Okay. So speaking of getting clients, and I, I love that you said you weren't operating from a position of desperation. So you're you're not sending those spammy emails on Instagram saying you mm-hmm. want to, do you want a cartoon or, you know, those <laughs> pop-ups that we get these days, you're not acting from a, a position of desperation. And so that helps the right people come to you. But I think mm-hmm. I heard you say that you get 90% of your inbounds from YouTube. So for someone starting today who doesn't necessarily have the following that you do, what are some of those streams of inbounds that they can begin to cultivate today? Yeah. Yeah. So that is absolutely true. The large majority of my clientele does come, they, they pretty much all find me on YouTube. So the first way that I actually got my, my first freelance gig, that writing job, it was largely because I had my own portfolio built up, which was a blog. It was like a lifestyle blog that I did just for fun. It was, I look back at it now and I cringe because it was very not professional, but it was, you know, I I wrote about music. I reviewed films and my, I went to school for films. So I did a lot of like film reviews and stuff like that. Um, and it was a demonstration of my writing abilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that that was both my first portfolio piece. And it was also kind of a, I mean, it turned into over the years, my, my website now. So I was still helping with that SEO and, um, you know, building up my following somewhat. I do have people who still follow me from that very first blog, very few, but some, yeah. So it did help with that. So, you know, um, whatever it is that your discipline is, maybe it's writing, maybe it's video, maybe it's podcasting. I mean, these are all things that help with SEO. Um, of course, if I were to do it kind of to reference back to your last question, if I was to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't be writing about film reviews or music reviews. I would be doing like social media one one or, um, you know, giving little tidbits that are actually going to rank for what I, what I now do. But, uh, so yeah, starting something like that. Also, those are a little bit more long form content and more, uh, uh, you know, a a bit, a bit meatier pieces, if you will, but you Mm -hmm. can start with social media. You can start by having an active LinkedIn presence. And, you know, it's great that we have so much short form content Mm -hmm. available now because you can create a LinkedIn series that is literally, uh, you know, you on zoom talking for 10 minutes, doing very little editing, very little, you know, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out thing. Mm -hmm. So start where you can start, you know, look at your, your platforms that maybe you do have the biggest following in, or that you do feel the most comfortable in, or that you're the strongest with. Mm -hmm. Some people really like video. Some people really like to talk. Some people really like to write. So find whatever that is and just start something, you know, start something that's going to demonstrate your work and, and help you build a little bit of a following. Okay. So speaking of building a portfolio and a following, when you worked for those two fortune 500 companies, 
Did you work in environments that were conducive to you having a side hustle? Because you were fairly public with it on YouTube. Really, anyone could come across it. So how did you navigate that? Yeah, that's a a great question. So uh, yeah, I would say that they both were fine with it. I never had an issue with it. The first job that I got, I would say... I, it wasn't, it was kind of in this transition period. So I was still, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but my YouTube channel was not always what it was today. I actually started doing beauty and fashion content. Mm. Yeah. It, it was just, again, it was just a hobby, like something I did while I was in college just for fun. And also to sort of practice what I was learning in my film classes. Mm. And so I think I'm sure that they Googled me at this company and they probably saw, Oh, she makes makeup videos. Uh-huh. Like they didn't, it wasn't really like a, any type of conflict of interest or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, when I left that job, I got a, another job in corporate America. And at that point I was making freelancing content and uh, business content, social media content. And I was terrified <laughs> to even like bring that up. But they loved it. Um, my, I feel really lucky that my managers were actually like big advocates for me and saw mm-hmm. that as a strength. We would be in these meetings with, you know, senior level management and they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, Latasha has a YouTube channel. She knows about YouTube SEO. Why don't we do this? Like, why doesn't she? And it was really nice to have that. And I know not everybody does. So I mm-hmm. feel very lucky for that. But I think, I guess if I have any advice for that is learn how to frame it in a way that is going to be beneficial for your employer as well, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, those were strengths that I was learning and skills that I was building up in addition to what was on my job description that I often did use for my company. I mean, I, I totally help optimize their YouTube channel and come up with video ideas and even taking my client work that I was doing on the side, which they were also supportive of. Um, you know, I was, I was getting experience doing things that I just hadn't been able to experience yet for the company. So I actually moved into a a paid ads uh, strategist role at my company. I started as like a community manager and I wouldn't have gotten that job if I hadn't been taking clients on the side because I had had done really limited ad campaigns for my actual company. So Mm -hmm. I think if you can frame it in a way that, you know, shows that you're, you're just, you're you're learning, you're building your skill set they'll hopefully like that. And obviously, you know, being smart about it, I would never take any type of competitors or anything that even could be seen as competing um, businesses as my clients. I think that's very helpful. That's a helpful perspective to have. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the thick of finding clients and offering your services, how did you first start to set your rates? Because I think mm-hmm. this is an area that there's not a lot of visibility into what people's rates are. So when you're starting, it's difficult to calibrate. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I started with an hourly rate, which I don't necessarily recommend now, but I, you know, and I know there's a bit in the freelancing community. It's like, don't ever do hourly, don't ever do it. But honestly, I think that for your first gig, if it's a short-term gig, if it's, Hey, we need help for a month. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world because it does help you learn what your rate is and what your, um, what you really need to make. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good kind of testing opportunity. Like I said, I wouldn't do that if it was a contract that didn't have an end or that, you know, you were, you would be kind of, um, stuck into working for $20 an hour forever because Mm -hmm. that just wouldn't be sustainable. But I started with an hourly rate and that way I could see 
how much time writing a content calendar, for example, would take me. And then I could sort of base, uh, you know, work backwards and say, okay, this actually takes me 20 hours a week. I need to be charging way more Mm -hmm. for it, that kind of thing. And then I also think, you know, starting again, starting kind of backwards and starting with what do I need to make? Because when I started, it was a side hustle. And I think that that's sort of a, a, one of the few drawbacks to having a side hustle is that you don't really quote unquote need to make anything because Mm -hmm. it's addition, you know, in addition Mm -hmm. to hopefully what is the living wage that you already make. So, um, that can be challenging because we sort of are like, Oh, I'm grateful for anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting anything, but think of it as if you were on your own, Mm -hmm. think about your living expenses, think about how many, you know, how, how much money you need to live every month and then sort of work backwards. Um, so that's what I'd recommend for, for pricing. And then of course, doing research too, there are places that you can research averages, um, you know, just Googling other, other people in your industry, seeing Mm -hmm. if there are any rates, Facebook groups are great places, uh, to do market research and figure out what other people in your industry are charging. And then also looking at sites like Glassdoor, um, like I think LinkedIn has a salary tool. Um, yeah. So all of those, obviously those are mostly going to be for full-time jobs, but you can still kind of break that up, um, into monthly amounts Mm-hmm. adding on back to your original point, adding on that those costs of doing business. So how much are you going to have to pay in insurance? Think about your taxes that you're going to need to be paying, you know, adding on those things and then coming up with sort of a, a monthly or retainer rate. I like that. So when it comes to building businesses, I find that the Achilles heel for a lot of people is the systems and processes that they have in place. So what were some of the first systems that you started to solidify within your business and what does that look like for you today? Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say, I mean, first system would be the actual uh, a pro- product or service that I was delivering in the customer. So I really got very tight with my content calendar process and, you know, uh, how I, how I actually got a content calendar approved, how I delivered it to the client, the timeline, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which honestly for me is an Excel sheet. <laughs> Everyone always expects me to like whip out this really cool tool. Nope. I just use Google sheets. <laughs> Um, I also have used Asana for years. I love it. I cannot live without Asana. Used it for years and I do a lot of things in there. I do like client communication. Now I do team delegation. Obviously I didn't have a team then. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that was kind of the first thing that I, that I formalized cause that's what the client was paying for. Mm-hmm. Then of course you have to work on your actual day-to-day business stuff. So the accounting stuff, the, um, you know, uh, uh, team or the, the clients, like a CRM system and, and keeping in touch with their clients and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I really like for, um, for accounting, I use wave accounting and I've used that for a long time. I think I started off with PayPal, but I use wave now and I actually just have started to transition over to HoneyBook for my CRM, which I am loving. It's, I say starting to transfer over to because it's one of those things that keeps like dropping to the bottom of my to-do list to actually get it all set up. Cause mm-hmm. it, it does take 
energy and time to set up these systems, but they really do help to have those client surveys be automatically sent over, to have your client be able to have a place where they can kind of log in and have their own little portal. Mm-hmm. It really does help. So, yeah. And I can totally relate to that stuff falling to the bottom of your to-do list because I've recently, at least with the podcast, gone through a transition of making it scalable. And Mm -hmm. the things I did in the beginning just to make it work don't work anymore. So, Mm -hmm. and then in my business as well, kind of getting on those CRM, I'm building mine out. It's, It's a lot, but in order to make sure that your processes don't become the thing that prevent you from growing, I think it's important to have those things in place. Absolutely. And and I love what you said about, you know, scaling because to to start, and I I don't like to overwhelm people, you know, if you're just looking to start with one client, start a side hustle, start whatever, you don't need HoneyBook. You don't Mm -hmm. need like all of these tools. You can start, like I said, with an Excel sheet and PayPal, you know, Um, but you're absolutely right that that's not going to be sustainable if you're going to take 10 clients. That's not, you know, going to get you to where you need to be for your revenue goals. So always kind of thinking a step ahead is Mm -hmm. what I recommend. You can start with with those very basic tools, but once you have that first client onboarded, think what's next, you know, start thinking about, okay, how would I onboard two clients next month? Is this going to be sustainable with these tools? And then just kind of build from there. I like that. I know notoriously, one of the things that is difficult to manage when you're first starting or as you're growing a business is the balance between your life and your business. And oftentimes they bleed into each other. So how have you been able to maintain, and it never really is a balance, but how have you been able to maintain something that seems like balance with your business and your, and your life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I actually just went through a period of pretty extreme burnout. So I'm glad that you're asking me this because Mm. I'm very much still learning. I think with everything going on in the world, I did start to panic a little bit with COVID and, um, you know, who knows what's going on with the economy. So I got to just, you know, make as much money as I can in this season while people are still coming. Mm -hmm. And I ended up burning out. And so, you know, that that's, it's honestly the first time that that's really, happen to a point of like, you know, affecting me physically and mentally. Um, so it is very important and I'm very passionate about saying that. I think, you know, this sounds very like cheesy, I'm sure, but developing that proper mindset, developing an abundance mindset has been huge to that because exactly what I just said, I I was acting out of desperation. I was acting out of fear of, oh my gosh, like there's only so many resources available. There's only many, so many, you know, so many clients out there. So I have to help them all right, you know, Mm -hmm. right now. And you can't think like that. You have to, um, yes, obviously be smart. And there are definitely periods of hustle where, yeah, sure. Maybe take on an extra client or so while things are a little bit uncertain or, you know, things are going on in the world, Mm -hmm. but don't take on 20 more clients and, you know, be, be at a point where you're not really doing your best work or for me, because I'm very much, uh, I don't think that my work suffered, but I think my personal life suffered. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't sleeping. I was waking up at 5 a.m. and then staying up till midnight, you know, not sustainable, Mm, Um, you know, didn't see my friends, didn't hang out with anyone, you know, wasn't being the, the, the great partner that I normally am. So 
yes, you have to prioritize that because other areas of your life will suffer. And at the end of the day, what's the point of working in a business if you're more miserable than you were in a full-time job like Mm -hmm. the point of life is to enjoy it and the point of freelancing or being an entrepreneur in my eyes or one of the big reasons that I wanted to do that is so I could have the opportunity to have more time with loved ones or have more time doing the things that I love so you kind of have to bring it back to basics and think like this is a little counterintuitive so one of the things that I I do is I uh, honestly pricing appropriately is huge. Yes. You cannot undercharge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop undercharging and and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are undercharging. <laughs> like most people are undercharging. Um and I see that even just hiring in my business, you know, getting quotes from freelancers, I'm like you might want to add another zero to that quote, like for real. (laughs) And I have done that before. I have, I have went back to, um, to people and asked them, are you sure that this is the rate that you're asking me? So yeah, I mean, that's number one, because if you are, are charging the right amounts, you're not going to be feeling like you have to serve 10 different people, 20 different Mm -hmm. people. You might be comfortable with a couple of clients. Um, and then again, you know, uh, Going back to like boundaries with technology has been a big one for me because, uh, yeah, I mean, I work in social media, so it can be really hard to like separate my fun and personal social media from work. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I did recently is I actually bought an iPad. I never understood the the, like purpose of an iPad. I was like, why do do, I love having an iPad? (laughs) I I got an iPad as a gift. I never would have gotten it for myself, but now I'm just like. Why didn't I have one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I never really got it. I was like, I have a phone. I have a laptop. Like, why do I need an iPad? But I use my iPad only for fun. Like I only use it for, you know, browsing Pinterest or like personal emails and, um, I'm planning a wedding. So like wedding planning stuff, like things like that. Mm -hmm. And then my business phone gets, uh, put into do not disturb every night around 7 PM. Mm -hmm. And my clients know that if they have an emergency, they can call me very rarely, if I don't think that's ever really happened, you know, they're not expecting me to be replying to emails at 9 PM. I'm on my iPad looking at Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a great tip. And I always encourage people to write business hours into their contracts, because Mm -hmm. if you set that expectation ahead of time, you can protect each other spaces. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this point in time, you've mentioned a few facets of your business where you have an agency and you're doing the educational side. At what point did you know you were ready, number one, to scale into an agency model, and then number two, to split off into the course offering side of your business as well? Yeah. Because we're still talking about burnout and balance and things of that nature, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. So as far as the agency, it really happened when, um, when I decided that I couldn't necessarily serve again, I was, I was turning people away because I was, I was booked basically. And so I wanted to be able to have the flexibility to bring other people on if I needed to, and not have the expectation be that they were working with Latasha James and Latasha James only. Of course I'm active in all of the projects, but there are some projects that, you know, some, another freelancer, is doing a a lot of the the research or a lot of the implementation. And I'm just kind of acting as the main strategist Mm -hmm. and then other projects, it's totally me doing everything. So I wanted to have the flexibility to scale up or down and to leverage other resources. Um, 
I'm very fortunate that I live in an area that has a ton of really bright, creative minds. And so I like pulling in people on onto projects as I need, as I need to, or as I want to. Um, and then also, you know, it also was a decision for me that I didn't want to have to be active in my business forever. At some point, um, I may want to stop working, uh, you know, in my life. And so I wanted to either be able to sell the business. There's a really great book called Built to Sell that I definitely recommend if you're, um, I don't know if you've read it, but Mm -hmm. if you are considering doing an agency or working as just a freelancer, that really helped me out with that. So I wanted to to be able to grow and have a life that lives beyond me, honestly. And then as far as the education stuff, this was an area that I had to get over a lot of limiting beliefs for myself as well, because I was like, what do I know? Like, you know, actually when I, when I launched my first course, I was still just quote, just a side hustler. And I was like, oh, I'm not a real entrepreneur, you know, like I'm, I'm still like working my nine to five. Um, you know, what do I really know? What do I have to teach people about freelancing? And, but people were asking for it. I had a YouTube series at the time, which eventually turned into my podcast. It's called Freelance Friday. And, uh, you know, I just kind of shared like the ins and outs of freelancing and side hustling and social media management. And I mean, the questions that I would get were just, I would get so many questions. People, you know, had these really detailed questions they needed answered that, um, just weren't really conducive for YouTube. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, they're very detailed or very kind of boring, just screen shares and things like that. I was mm-hmm. like, I need to document this somehow. So I guess a course is the way to do it. So that's really how it started. And then even beyond that, the one-on-one work and the, the, the group mentoring that I have that came also from a demand, people took my course and were like, okay, what's next? <laughs> can, how, how can I, how can I work with you? I have more questions. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sort of beta tested a, um, a mini coaching program base, basically. I mean, it was just a coaching hour. That's, that's kind of what I always recommend to people if they're looking to get into that space is mm-hmm. I sold calls, you know, one hour calls on my website. I don't even know how much I charged. I mean, it was very low. It was like definitely under hundred bucks. Um, and people who had taken the course could chat with me and we could walk through things together. And eventually that turned into a, a longer term coaching program. And then I've had several more courses come out since then. So it was a slow, gradual, gradual build into that. Wow. Well, I love hearing about the progression. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you, Latasha? Yeah. So I am working on a couple of new programs right now. Actually, I'm super excited about the um, program I'll be launching hopefully in mid-October. So it'll be out very soon, um, aimed at freelance social media managers. And then I'm kind of revamping my um, one-on-one coaching program right now as well. So that will be uh, new and updated for 2021. And then other than that, I'm focusing on, I have a, a group program that I have. It's a really low cost, $10 a month group program that people can join. And I do monthly master classes on there. There's a ton of really great, smart people in there. So it's a great place to network. And, and, and so I've just been trying to put a lot of my energy into that and helping developing those freelancers in there. Oh, wow. So for anyone who's interested in some of the things that you've talked about, where can we find you? Where can we follow along your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So you can join the uh, club that I mentioned, the Freelance Friday Club at freelancefriday.club. And then for any of my programs, my podcasts, my YouTube, all that, you can just go to latashajames.com. 
Great, Latasha, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm now excited to hear who from our audience is ready to be a freelancer. Thank you so much. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.